If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Rob Attar. More than seven decades after the pilot Kenneth Arnold spotted nine mysterious objects flying above the Cascade mountain range in Washington, unidentified flying objects still attract international attention. This month, UFO enthusiasts have been eagerly awaiting the release of a US government report that details sightings of unknown aerial phenomena. To coincide with its release, our digital section editor, Rachel Dinning, caught up with Dr David Clark, author of How UFOs Conquered the World, The History of a Modern Myth, to find out more about the highly anticipated Pentagon report, as well as the history of our obsession with mysterious flying aircraft. At the time of recording this interview, we're actually awaiting the release of the Pentagon's much-anticipated report on UAPs, which stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. So what do we know about this report so far? What what do you expect it to to tell us? Well, it's um, I think it's best to look at it in the terms of like 
historical context, and it isn't actually the first report on this subject that had been produced by the uh, the Western um, intelligence services, because they're they're the, they're the ones that's always been involved in doing these um, these kinds of um, studies and analyses of strange things that people have seen in the sky. It's like the latest in a long line of of studies. The f- the earliest actually in the USA was um, there was a CIA study that was done in 1953, and that was right at the heart of the Cold War when they were very worried that some of these things that were being seen at that time on radar and by pilots were Russian. You know, we, we were, you know, there was, we were right on the edge of, like, possible Third World War. So, obviously, if you were the CIA or the British equivalent, you'd be, you'd be very worried if people were telling you that there were these things that were being seen that sometimes, apparently, were being picked up on radar. What were they? Were there some kind of advanced... Um, Russian spy plane or, or something that the enemy had developed that we didn't know anything about. And it, obviously, from the point of view of defending the realm, this is something you've got to talk, take very seriously. So quite separately from all the sort of ideas about aliens and, you know, visitations from outer space, that really wasn't ever the concern of the military who investigate these things. And I think that's what we've got here with this new Pentagon report, because Obviously, things have been seen, some of them by um, US Navy fighter pilots, things have been seen on radar again, and many historians would say that, you know, here we are in a new Cold War, and it's interesting that this uh, this report has been produced uh, almost like as an echo of what went on in the 1950s. So we've got exactly the same issues again, you know, mysterious objects being seen by pilots, being seen visually from the ground, and on occasion being detected by um, um, electronic um, 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 equipment such as radar and far more advanced radar than what we had in the 1950s. But I expect that the report will produce pretty much the same conclusions as we saw from the earlier ones in the 1950s. So sadly, no revelation that we have indeed been visited by extraterrestrials from outer space. Um, Well, I I think like everybody, I would love there to be evidence um, produced of that kind. But I think being realistic, I'm I'm, all the years that I've been studying this subject, I haven't seen any evidence that any of these things that have been seen, even by um, um, pilots and radar stations, etc., none of them really sort of provide that hard forensic evidence that you would need to say that this is some, something from outer space. But, but from the point of view of a historian, that really isn't my concern. And, I mean, whether something is true or false to, is, is one issue, um, but the impact of the subject in terms of its social and uh, and political impact is another matter altogether and that is worth studying from the point of view of of um of 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 history sociology folklore even because because ultimately what we're talking about is people's beliefs about these things and you, and you need to really separate out the evidence from people's belief and their desire for something to exist um, that is fantastic, that's beyond anything that we understand. And and what, what we've got to understand about this report that the Pentagon are preparing, it's an intelligence report. It's, it's not a report that's being produced to satisfy people who believe in aliens. It will be very, very technical. It will be um, using statistics and evidence um, from computers and statistical analysis and from uh, what they've what they've found on radar, etc. It probably very impenetrable parts of it. 
because it, it, it's written for a particular purpose by intelligence officers. Mm-hmm. And why is this Pentagon intelligence report being released now? What's what's the context? What's prompted the US to release this? And are there parallels between this one and the previous report that was released in, was it the 1950s? Yeah, um, well, um, there was the CIA report, which was really just a survey of the evidence at that time. And, and what, what happened was it was all done in complete secrecy, as these things often are because this was the Cold War. And it was just a, a panel of security cleared scientists led by a physicist called Dr. Bob Robertson. Um, and basically what they had, what they spent three days with the United States Air Force presenting what they had as their best evidence at that time. And they basically just looked at it and couldn't see anything that they, they deemed to be a threat to the uh, defense of the USA, which was all they were interested in and just recommended that the um, the US Air Force debunked the subject. And they even talked about getting Walt Disney Corporation involved in, in an education campaign, you know, saying we can't have people clogging military communication channels at this really perilous time in the Cold War with all these UFO reports. Because what happens if the Russians did launch an attack? And all we were we were scurrying around investigating these reports of flying saucers. And the Russians had landed, you know, there was nothing, we'd missed it because of the fact that, that so, you, so you can see why they were worried about this. But it, the, the thing with UFOs is you can't kill it off, it won't go away. And people at that time, back in the 40s and 50s, thought it was just a fad, a bit like, you know, people seeing the Loch Ness Monster. And they thought, oh, you know, give it a few years and people will move on to something else. Well, here we are, 74, 76 or whatever it is years later, still talking about the same thing. And um, in, the ni- in 1952, there was a big wave of sightings of UFOs and radar detections over Washington, D.C. That even President Truman was, was concerned then. Um, and what happened then was the U.S. Air Force launched um, a, an investigation called Project Blue Book. And that ran right up to 1969. And they collected something like 12,000 reports and, the, and at the end of the day, then they thought, well, we can't carry on doing this. So they gave a contract to the University of Colorado uh, to look at all the data. And the University of Colorado took on this contract. They produced a really hefty report. They looked at the 12,000 reports that had been produced. And they found something like, I think, about 700, 6% couldn't be identified. So they remained unexplained. But their conclusion was the same as the one of the CIA, that you know, the vast majority of these things, if if people, if, if enough resources are put into investigating the sightings at the time they happen, they can find a conventional explanation. And there's a whole host of these, um, balloons, aircraft, bright planets, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, there's many, many different things that are, that become UFOs because the U in UFO simply means unidentified. It doesn't mean alien craft. And, and so what we've got here with the new report is, uh, the New York Times basically published a story in 2017 saying there was a secret study going on again, even after they'd, they'd said in 1969, right, that's the end of it. We don't want to look at this subject anymore. They clearly have, at a very um, low-key level, been collecting sighting reports and looking at them, as you would expect any Department of Defence to do. You know, if an unidentified aircraft is detected, they will look at it. Yeah, so so what happened was that there's a there's a small group of people who right in the high levels of um, the military and government establishment who are believers in UFOs and aliens, and it's the same in Britain as well. The 1950s we had people like Lord Mountbatten who went on to become um, 
chief of defence staff and and Prince Philip even in the royal family really 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 obsessed with the subject and there were there were certain people in the military establishment who believed in it as well Henry Tizard um, who was um, Ministry of Defence's chief scientific advisor he um, was instrumental in setting up the first British um, study of this subject which was bizarrely called the Flying Saucer Working Party <laughs> Which, which, uh, yeah, which again was set up in secret in 1950. Um, talked to the C- it, it took inf- it took information from the CIA about what they were doing, and it produced a report that was used to brief Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister, in 1952. So all those sort of people, all those things were created as a result of pressure from the media, and this is exactly what's happened in this case, that the New York Times story in 2017, it's just built up this like rolling sort of media pressure and eventually senators have got involved and that's forced the US government to act, which is why President Trump signed off this um, this report in the end. And would you say that it's less a question for the public and the media of national security and more of a question of the intrigue about the mythology and the alien side of things? Yeah, <laughs> you've got these two aspects of it. The military interest in it is purely from the point of view of military intelligence. Are any of these things that have been seen and detected enemy craft of some kind or enemy... Um, I mean, we're not even talking about craft now because these these drones, that the, 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 um, the, these two adversaries, well, three adversaries, you've got America, Russia and China now, and the the, the the technology that they're working on, these these tiny drones that are capable of hypersonic speeds, um, it's quite obvious if you read some of the descriptions of the pilots that have um, reported some of these things in the Atlantic and Pacific, they're talking about tiny objects. I mean, one of them describes the thing that he saw near his aircraft as, as being suitcase-sized. Either that's come from the other side of the universe with little diddy aliens inside it, or... It's a drone. <laughs> so the, the, the most likely explanation, and this is interesting because the report that was done way back in 1950 for Winston Churchill employed something called Occam's Razor when it looked at the evidence. And Occam's Razor simply says, it's a basic scientific principle that if you've got a problem um, that, you, that you need an explanation for, you choose the most likely explanation, not the one that requires the most ridiculous sort of um, explanation. So, like, if you've got a problem like a UFO sighting, what is the most likely explanation? That aliens have travelled billions of miles, aliens that we don't know exist, just to buzz an aircraft and then vanish? Or has that pilot either made a mistake? Was it an optical illusion? Was it another aircraft? So, you see what I mean? So, that's the way the military look at it. But, of course, the media... And the people who believe in UFOs, and it's almost like a semi-religious belief uh, that we're talking about here, they will not accept those down-to-earth explanations. They they prefer um, the explanation that these things are, I mean, what, what are the phrase that's been used, that they are advanced technology by non-human something or other. But what they're talking about are aliens. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, they won't use the word alien, but that's what they're talking it's about. A lot you need more a very high level of evidence there to show that that's the case. It's a more fun story than it's just a drone. Well, just a drone is very subjective as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean from my days as a journalist, I, 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 remember, I, I remember having this chat with, um, with some colleagues and it's like a headline that says, you know, a woman sees um, UFO from outer space is, makes a great story. But a story that says woman sees um, light in sky, it turns out to be Venus. 
isn't a story, sure. really, is it? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I was just, I wanted to ask you to clarify, actually, what is the difference between a U- UFO, which is a term that most people are familiar with, and a UAP, which is what is being used in the Pentagon report? Right, well, that that's a very good question, because that, take, again, allows us to set all this in context, because there's actually three different names for these things, and the one that's triggered it all off was Flying Saucer, because the, the the guy the the again it was a journalist who coined the phrase flying saucer because the the very first sort of modern sighting, which was in um, 1947, was a a chap that American pilot that that saw this formation of nine um, objects that he described as like bat wing shaped that were flying above the Cascade Mountains in Washington. He was out looking for a crash plane and he saw these things in the distance and he, they were travelling at some fantastic speed. And when he landed, the um, the, the um, news reporters said to him, well, how, how would you describe it? And he said, oh, it's like if you can imagine getting a, getting a saucer and skipping it across a, a pond. So he wasn't talking about there were saucers shaped, but some sub-editor came up with flying saucer. And then everyone started seeing saucer-shaped objects, even though this guy hadn't actually described it, it, them as being saucer-shaped. So, right, so five years later, when the American Air Force got involved in doing a proper investigation of these things, they thought, we need to get away from flying saucer because that implies aliens in disc-shaped objects. So um, Captain Ed Ruppelt, who was the head of the American Air Force Project Blue Book, he came up with the phrase, with an acronym, UFO. So he wanted to make get away from flying saucers and come up with a, a military phrase that didn't imply that these things were alien. So unidentified flying object to him at that time. As you know now, and as everyone listening to this will know, when you hear the acronym UFO, you think of flying saucers. So we've had 50 years of UFOs. And because of the fact that UFO has now become the, in, in terms of culture and pop culture, the same as flying saucer, the military intelligence people sometime in the 1990s have thought we need to get, we need another acronym move away from UFO because we know that most of these things that have been seen, the most interesting ones, aren't objects, i.e. solid objects. They are phenomena of some kind. There are lots of different things that cause them. So that's how they came up with UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. So they've got rid of the object. So they've been talking secretly about this. So when people have been asking, do you investigate UFOs like with the British Ministry of Defence? Oh, no, we don't investigate UFOs. And they're not lying because from their point of view, they're looking at UAPs, not UFOs. Oh, that's very sneaky. <laughs> very sneaky. It is sneaky, but this is this is how they operate. And the, the British Ministry of Defence, they commissioned a, a study, a bit like this Pentagon one, that's not had all that much attention in the late 1990s, shortly after we had the 50th anniversary of the Roswell incident in 1997, we had the X-Files on TV and and the British um, MOD at that time, they faced a very similar um, pressure from the media and from MPs and peers in in the House of Lords who were interested in this subject. And they commissioned um, an intelligence study um, in 1996 that was delivered in 2000. And I, I, I found out about this using the Freedom of Information Act and managed to persuade them to release it. And it's a really hefty thing, four volumes, uh, I think it's some three or 400 words. And the, the, the amazing conclusion they reach is that these things exist. There's no doubt about it. Quite a stunning conclusion in there that they can, they, they can you know, they can fly around at incredible speeds, land, take off, this, that and the other. And, and I was reading this and thinking, this is a Ministry of Defence 
report that concludes this, but the rub was that there's no evidence that these things are alien, that something exists. There's the tiny proportion of sightings that they can't explain, some of them, you know, by pilots and qualified observers. But the author of the report says that these things that we can't explain are some kind of atmospheric phenomena. This is where we get to the UAP. And he proposed something that he called atmospheric plasmas. Now, if 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 you've got the patience to wade through this huge report, he claims that there's evidence that meteors that impact on the Earth's atmosphere um, burn up and they create some kind of plasma that continues to sort of exist in the atmosphere. And his theory was that this is what the pilots were seeing. You know, like the, the Aurora Borealis, you know, sort of luminescent blobs of light that have their own sort of volition that can move around and and and, and this is what he proposes. Now, I read this and I just thought, well, yeah, fair enough, but what you're actually saying is effectively, I'm proposing one unexplained thing that scientists don't accept. We need to be clear about this. His his statement that these things are atmospheric plasmas is just as much of a theory as I mean, aliens. It's just might, as much of a as theory aliens. as aliens, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so he's proposing um, one unexplained thing that we don't know about to explain another unexplained thing that we don't know about. Isn't it just easier to go back to what Winston Churchill was told in the earlier study, Occam's razor is the most is the best way to look at this, that the simplest explanation is the best one. And the simplest explanation is that people see things in the sky that they can't identify, that they always have done. You can go all the way back to Roman times. There's accounts of, you know, in, in the Roman annals of people seeing shields and things in the sky during, you know, centuries and centuries ago. But there are a range of explanations for them. Lots of them quite boring ones. I wanted to ask, oh, it always is. The simplest answer is often the most boring one, sadly, as you said. Um, I wanted to ask as well, you mentioned that initially when when the, you know, the flying saucer idea came about and people got a little bit obsessed with it, that there was an assumption that it would sort of go away and that the interest would die down um, a bit like maybe like the Loch Ness Monster, sort of an interesting story that, but no one really, well, some people might believe it, but that's not the case. In fact, there's you know huge huge amounts of the population who very much believe that um governments are covering up the truth about extraterrestrials visiting the earth and it's a big conspiracy theorist what do you think it is about this specific story that means it's garnered such a cult status well i call it a modern myth and that's what it is and but the thing is um, i often get people um, reacting to that saying you're saying it's 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 false that people are lying well i'm not saying that you know because there are two different there's lots of different meanings of myth and the media use the word myth to to connect, to, to connect something that is inherently false you know it's a myth that but actually myth if you use it in its correct context means simply means a story um a belief system that people have created in order to explain something that they don't understand. So effectively, UFOs are the greatest modern myth. You know, it is impossible to kill them. It is impossible to prove that we're not being visited by aliens. And this is the real problem faced by the Pentagon and by all the governments who, who in the past, who've tried to look at this subject. You can't prove a negative. So you can never prove that we have not been visited by aliens. How would it be possible to do that if you put the whole 
um, GDP of the Western world into investigating it. And every time someone saw a light in the sky, you had a big X-Files sort of investigation. You, you might be able to say, right, well, yeah, that was a planet or that was a, you know, that was a, an aircraft. But the, but the UFO believers will always come back to say, well, yes, you've explained that one, but what about this one? You've got to accept that this is something that is not going to go away. It's got semi-religious um, aspects to it in that how if someone said, you know, uh, disprove that God exists, you, you, you can't do it, can you? Because that people just will continue to believe that these things exist. No matter how much the government debunks it, they will say, ah, well, why are they debunking it? You know, they, they, they must know something that we don't sort of thing. So, so it, governments are in an impossible position. And, and, and it is effectively all the things about it suggest it's got myth-like qualities. And also the UFO as a symbol I think in in perilous times, you know, like we're going through the COVID pandemic at the moment, people are feeling um, depressed, they're feeling uh, they're mistrustful of science and they're wanting to, to have something beyond science. And the UFO is like an anti-science symbol. It's something that comes in and disrupts science whenever we try and explain everything, whenever we try and bring the universe under control, up pops a UFO. Ah, well, you can't explain that. So that gives people something. It's like a magical symbol. It's like a, it's like an appeal to magic. You know, like we used to believe in fairies when we were kids. You know, it's like, you know, clap if you believe in the fairies. Well, it's the, it's the same with with UFOs. Almost a comfort thing, but also maybe a slightly anti-establishment thing, I guess. Very much so. Right. Very much so. Yeah, and and I would not want to de- debunk that because I, I think having things to believe in and having magical symbols is fascinating. And, and as a folklorist, this is what I study. It's not. I'm not interested in whether it's true or false. I'm interested in its impact on society and on individuals. And in terms of the people who see these things, I wouldn't. Uh, some people make it, make their stories up. There are well-known, well-publicized hoaxes, but the vast majority of people who report seeing flying saucers are genuine, ordinary people who've had an extraordinary uh, experience, and not all of them can be explained. We can't explain everything. And uh, and just for those listening. Uh, as a b- bit of an experiment for you, the next time that you're out with a group of friends or, or in the pub and you're, you're talking about um, UFOs, just ask your friends, how many, have you ever seen one? And I guarantee that in a group of five to ten people, you will have at least two or three of those people who've seen something in the sky they can't explain. Now, if you extrapolate that on the population, you're talking millions of people who've seen things in the sky. <laughs> Still to come on the History Extra podcast. And we're now in a new Cold War, and that's why it's so interesting from a historian's perspective. We're suddenly talking about UFOs again. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down you may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. 
and BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. And as you mentioned already, um, the mystery of UFOs has drawn attention from high-profile figures, including presidents, prime ministers, yeah. uh, Prince Philip. Um, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah. What have some of these various figures said about UFOs over the years that's been particularly interesting? Who well, stands um, Ronald out? Reagan, he was, he was uh, as you know, a film star. And he, he's, one of his favourite films was um, apparently The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is original 1951 um that was all about um aliens coming to earth in a flying saucer at a time when the russians and the americans were about to destroy themselves with uh, nuclear bombs and the alien comes down and it, it, if you, it paralyzes all the um the earth's um, defenses and says you know you've got to you've got to start talking to to each other otherwise we're going to destroy the earth and the interesting thing was apparently at a nato summit or um, a cold war um, summit in, I think it was Zurich in 1985, Gorbachev actually um, was amazed when Reagan said to him, what we need is, an, is a threat from outer space because that's the only thing that's going to unite us. And he was like, <laughs> Gorbachev was apparently uh, absolutely stunned when he heard this. But even, even that, um, Reagan's um, statement on that wasn't unique because way back in 1947, beginning of the Cold War, Anthony Eden, the British um, Foreign Secretary at the time, apparently said something very similar, that what we need in order to sort of save the world and stop us from descending into a new world war, third world war, was a threat from Mars. So this this subject keeps coming up. Aliens, the peace-bringing um, <laughs> solution to the world's problems. <laughs> you spoke about people who've experienced alien abductions or experiences. Um, would you mind telling our listeners about some of the ones that are perhaps the most high profile? Yeah, well, the most, the best known story of this kind is the one that triggered it all off, although there was earlier accounts, was from the 1960s and there was a, um, a couple... Um, in America called Betty and Barney Hill. And they were a mixed race couple, which was unusual at that time for them to sort of make us come up with a story like that. And they were driving through New Hampshire late one night. I think they were coming back from holiday and they saw this light in the sky 
and they got into a really sort of worked up state about it. And Barney Hill, um, who was who was active in civil rights movement, he thought he was about to be captured by whoever it was on this thing that they could see in the sky. And when they got home, they they, 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 they worked out that they'd lost a period of time, so like two or three two or three hours, I think it was. And and they then pursued. Um, retrieving memories of what had actually happened to them in that time, and they went to a hypnotherapist called uh, Doctor um, Doctor Simon um, in New Hampshire, and he, he hypnotically regressed them. And this amazing story emerged about how this light in the sky had landed, and then these beings had come out who were dressed apparently like Nazis. Um, but the, the, the description of them changed because the, originally they were in military uniforms and then they transformed into sort of more alien-like creatures with big sort of wraparound dark eyes. And they, they both, Betty and Barney, were taken on board this thing and they were given like medical examinations, et cetera, et cetera. So when that um, came out in the media, because there was a journalist called John Fuller wrote a book about it in 1966, and it was serialised right across the world, all in the news media. And that effectively set the template for alien abductions. Because I think with UFOs, there's only so many stories you can read about people seeing odd things in the sky, and eventually the novelty wears off. And, and that's what had happened with the media, because there was this period in the early 1960s where after a decade of flying saucer sightings, the media just lost interest in the subject. It was just like, oh, another one, you know. So... The alien abduction thing actually put new life back into the subject, and then newspapers started reporting similar stories from people who said that similar experiences had happened to them way back, you know, in the 40s and the 50s. And then this this is how the subject has evolved, because you've got alien abductions, and you then, you might remember, crop circles. They're never talked about now, but that was another thing that came along. Then you've got the men in black, who are obviously the agents of the um, the government who are going around trying to silence people who've had these experiences. So you've got a myth, and you've got all these little sub-myths, like the men in black, the crop circles, the alien abductions, the conspiracies, and that's what have allowed the subject to sort of transform. And, and, and of course, you've got TV and film, you've got things like the X-Files that, that, that re- revived the subject in the 1990s, um, all the big um, films, for example, like Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind that was released in 1978, if, if, you, if you plot those, as I have, against, say, the Ministry of Defence's UFO log, and they used to keep a log of how many sightings were reported to them, you see these massive spikes. And those spikes aren't... Well, there's more aliens visiting us in 1978 than and in 1997. It's simply that... People have watched and seen those TV films and and gone to the cinema, and they've come out of the cinema and rather than looking at the ground or at the bag of chips or whatever, they've they've, they've looked up at the sky and seen something and thought, oh, maybe that's one of those UFOs that I've just seen on the on Steven Spielberg's film. So there is this relationship between pop culture and the media and this subject that I find the most fascinating. That is really interesting. It makes a lot of sense because you there's, there's an element sometimes, I've f- felt this, when you come out of a cinema, you've just seen a really great mind-blowing film, you had that escapism for a bit, and you want it to continue. And that that's the same with me because I went to see um, the um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1978 when I was 10, and it blew my mind, and that's what got me interested in the subject. Right. You know, right from being 10. So I've been involved in, you know, sort of as a journalist, as a 
a UFO researcher and a, as a folklorist, ultimately, uh, looking at this subject now for some 40-odd years. What, in your view, are some of the top UFO sightings from the last sort of 100 years or so? Well, there's, again, there's a lot to choose from there, but the one that seems to get all the attention in the UK is the Rendlesham Forest incident, which really is an American story, but it's happened in Britain because it was a group of American Air Force personnel based in um, RAF Woodbridge in Suffolk, 1980, during the Cold War. And they, one night they saw these lights apparently crashing into the forest outside the base, and the base commander ordered an investigation, sent his men out, with Geiger counters and torches, you know, a bit very X-Files. And they sort a group of them said that they'd seen this object that had actually landed in the forest and come down through the trees and broken branches off the trees, etc., and left radiation. And they they wrote a report on this that went to the Ministry of Defence, and it's since become, you know, sort of like a, you know, the the the, the only story from the UK that's ever talked about. Um, in terms of UFOs, but there are many, many others. The one I really like, and the one that I, had, I spent a lot of time looking into, is a similar case from the 1950s. <clears throat> and this is where um, um, an American base, in, again in Suffolk, Lakenheath, uh, they started seeing these mysterious objects whizzing around over the air, air base late at night, 1956, high to the Cold War. And this is when they had the U-2 spy plane actually on the base, top secret CIA project. So they thought, what is going on here? Is it the Soviet Union that's sort of, um, you know, spying on um, the secret CIA project? So they alerted the RAF. Um, they looked at the radar picture and saw an object whizzing around as well at some high altitude. And all through the night, they were, they were scrambling jets, RAF fighters, to go and intercept this thing that was flying around over Suffolk. And this was all kept top secret at the time. It didn't emerge until the late 1960s in the, in the Blue, Blue Book report, actually. You know, the one we mentioned at University of Colorado. Um, and I actually, um, this is about 20 years ago, and when all, some of the people were still alive, I actually tracked down the, the guy who was in the radar station in East Anglia, who actually picked this thing up on his radar at the time. And he was the guy who pressed the the alarm button and scrambled all the aircraft, and he remembered it absolutely clearly. And he was in his he was in his nineties when I interviewed him in two thousand and one. What were his immediate emotional responses to that happening? Was it panic? Was what, what yeah. did he say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, panic. It was like, oh my god, is this the Russians? Are they here? You know, and they've managed to because the radars were looking out towards the Soviet Union, and they would expect to see something as it came over the horizon, and. When he was alerted to this, it was here, over East Anglia. So it was like, oh my, you know, we must do something now. And the the pilots, I tracked down three groups of pilots who'd actually got this in their logbooks that they'd been scrambled and they were told not to talk about it, it's top secret. And one of them said, I distinctly remember picking it up on my airborne radar. This was in an RAF Venom. And he was, this, this controller on the ground was saying, it's behind you, it's behind you. You know, and now it's in front of you, it's in front of you. And he was trying to sort of manoeuvre his aircraft around this thing and get behind it because he was used to intercepting aircraft and this was obviously not an aircraft. Right. That's like so, something out of a film in itself, <laughs> yeah, how that yeah. unfolded. Um, but the conclusion, what was the conclusion, you see? This was the interesting thing. And I actually found these 23 Squadron um, logbook that actually talks about it. And it says, we concluded it was a balloon. A balloon. 
A balloon. I mean, it does sound suspicious. You can see why conspiracy theorists would be like, a balloon caused that much of a... a yeah. Doesn't, add up, doesn't quite add it up doesn't to add me. Up. But you can see how people looking at that with a conspiracy frame of mind years later would say, that can't possibly be a balloon. But, if, but, if you, but from the point of view of the pilots... They were saying it's something that we've never seen before and we'd been scrambled loads of times. This was the one thing that stood out as the most unusual in their entire flying career. But they weren't saying, we think it was aliens. They were saying, thinking about it logically, this was a stationary object that could be seen on radar from the ground. We could see it on our airborne radars, stationary. That's why we couldn't intercept it because we kept zooming past it and then having to sort of circle round and come back. What's the most logical explanation for what it was? A balloon. But you see, people will say, how can a balloon move at the fantastic speeds that the Americans said it was moving at from the ground? Well, the thing is, with a lot of these UFO cases, it's not one thing. And if you look at when this happened, August the 13th, and the night of August the 13th, August the 14th. Now, if you're an astronomer, you will immediately see relevance in that date because that is the height of the Perseid meteor shower. And they're zooming around in the sky and they can be picked up on radar. So it's possible that what triggered it off was the meteor shower. That's what the Americans had detected. We sent up the aircraft and it just so happened that there was a stray balloon, maybe a meteorological balloon or something like that. And that's what then became the UFO. And it's, it's, it's a mixture of psychology and expectation and the will to believe and all mixed in with with government secrecy and pop culture it's not one thing that creates ufos that's the only way really i can explain it all have you ever seen anything that's given you pause for thought (laughs) yes (laughs) lots of things but nothing that i would say i I can't explain you know I've, i've seen like flocks of birds um, you know, as the sun's setting and the sun's rays are sort of hitting them, seagulls, for instance, and you see what looks like a formation of objects in the sky and you think, what is that? Right. And it, it's only be- by, because I'm interested in the subject and I thought, oh, that's an interesting thing. And I, I watched it and then it's resolved itself as a flock of birds. And I, I've seen um, shooting stars. Um, if you didn't know what it was, you might think, well, what's that? And I'm sure thousands of years ago, people saw things like shooting stars and they thought there were messages from the gods. Well, because... that's the other question I was going to ask, actually. Has, you know, sightings of unidentified flying objects predate the last century, don't they? People saw things in the sky all the time. Yeah, what sort of instances do we know about what people saw in the past? Well, there are so many. I mean, and, and, and one group of sightings that are often very rare, rarely mentioned, but are very relevant. In, during Just before the First World War, um, there was a thing known as the scare ships. Um, newspapers at that time, they were, again, we were in like a, almost like a, a Cold War situation with the Germans in that the Germans had developed these huge dirigible airships called Zeppelins, and the British had nothing to compete with that aerial superiority that the Zeppelins gave the Germans at the time. So there were all these stories started appearing in the newspapers in 1909, 1912. And again, strangely enough, Winston Churchill asked a question in Parliament about this because there were all these sightings of lights in the sky over the British Isles and people didn't think, ah, it's aliens. They thought, it's the Germans. They've, they've obviously got this fantastic Zeppelin and they're using it to spy on all our sensitive military 
installations. So there were thousands of people in the UK, in Hull, Southampton, Central London, who were t- was were calling the newspapers and saying, I've just seen one of them Zeppelins. <laughs> and it's because people had this expectation that the Germans had got this fantastic technology as it was at the time. And they, they, they were obviously going to use it to spy in preparation for the coming war. Now, we know in retrospect that there was a war and the Germans did send real Zeppelins that bombed British cities. But what were the things that were seen in 1909 and 1912? Because when we got to see the, the German war diaries, they'd never, they'd never used any of the Zeppelins to, to, to travel over to the UK before the first bombs, bombing raids in 1915. But it's like a precursor to the present um, UFO scare. And there was a similar thing in 1946, just after the Second World War, I mean, we can also mention the Foo Fighters, you know, the, the, the famous rock band. They, they, they're named after sightings of mysterious objects by fighter pilots and bomber crews during the Second World War. I mean, who, who were both in Japan and over Central Europe. Um, both sides, both saw these fantastic objects that went whizzing around, moving at fantastic speeds, which the Americans called Foo Fighters. Um, and then after the war, um, in Scandinavia, you had hundreds, perhaps thousands of people seeing what they thought were V2 rockets over Sweden and Norway that um, British intelligence at the time were really worried about this, assumed it was the Russians who'd captured some of the German um, V-weapon technology and were just firing these things over Scandinavia for some bizarre reason. But again, um, the conclusion that was reached on that was that these uh, were daylight meteors, that people had seen something real, i.e. a meteor, and because they were so worked up about the Russians and V-weapons v that they thought these things were rockets or ghost rockets. Projecting, yeah, projecting their anxieties yeah. onto something that something else. Yes, and I think that's what's going on with UFOs. I mean, and, and Carl Jung, the, um, the psychologist, famous psychologist, he wrote a book on flying saucers in the 1950s, and that's what he decided these things were. He said there's something real, but there is also this psychological projection because people's fears and anxieties in the Cold War, and the Cold War gave birth to, to UFOs, and we're now in a new Cold War, and that's why it's so interesting from a historian's perspective we're suddenly talking about UFOs again. What do you expect the reaction, just sort of bringing it back to this Pentagon report now, and as we near the end of the podcast, what do you expect the reaction to be when it's released? Do you think it's going to, are people going to be disappointed? Well, I think the people who are expecting this report to confirm what they already believe, which is that aliens are here, there's no doubt about it, there's lots of evidence that aliens have visited us, and the government is covering it up, I think they they will are bound to be disappointed because that isn't the purpose of the report. It's not to confirm those beliefs or even deny those beliefs. It, as an intelligence report, and having read lots of intelligence reports on this subject over the years, it will simply be a very dry um, factual analysis of, I think they've looked at 20 years sightings, and I think they've had 120 um, really good reports. And these will be military reports because what's happened is they just stopped looking at reports from members of the public. They want hard evidence. So they will be looking at... I mean, the, the best the best group of reports is this is, is the ones from the um, the USS Nimitz, the um, the aircraft carrier. And they were, I mean, I've got to say, some of those sightings that have been... Um, they've interviewed some of the fighter pilots 
And they clearly saw something very, very odd. And they didn't just see it on one occasion. In fact, they were picking these things up on radar for like 20 days. They were seeing them every single day and they were sending out aircraft, US um, Navy um, Super Hornets, to try, and in, to try and intercept them and get some kind of hard evidence on radar or on their cockpit cameras. And you've, you've seen the videos. The problem with those videos is people. there's been some really good photo analysis done of them, and every single one of them can be explained as ordinary things like aircraft and balloons and things. But the media, aren't, don't, the media are playing a role in hyping this up in that they're only talking to the believers. So that, to me, is interesting in, its, in itself. Well, that sells the story, doesn't it, talking yeah, to the believer? Because they've is. got the more, the more interesting angle. And this goes back to one thing that Carl Jung said, back in the 1950s, why should it be more desirable from the point of view of the media for UFOs to exist in terms of something exotic or alien than for them not to exist? And I think that is a very, very pertinent question in terms of what is going on today. That was Dr David Clark, Associate Professor in the Department of Media Arts and Communications at Sheffield Hallam University and former consultant for the National Archives UFO Project. You can find David on Twitter at shuclark, or on his website, drdavidclark.co.uk. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley. We'll be back tomorrow to discuss the Cold War battle for Berlin. collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.